Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm here to dictate to you the Dvar Torah on Parshat Vayikra. The title is The Pollution of Non-Acts. This week we begin the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, which has a strong focus on the priests and the Torah teachings of sacrifices. <clears throat> Let me acknowledge first the profound influence on my understanding of Leviticus, by the scholarly work of Jacob Milgram, especially in his masterpiece, his commentary on the book of Leviticus in the Anchor Bible series, especially volume 1 on chapters 1 through 16 of Ayukra. He has an amazing combination of rabbinic and medieval commentaries with modern critical studies, including cognate studies of other Mesopotamian religions, and he sheds new light on hundreds of passages, he has a feel for literary structures and specific details. Most of all, for me, he opened my eyes to the central theme of the book of Leviticus, which I had not seen before. That there is a struggle between life and death in the world, and humans are asked to throw the weight of their actions onto the side of life. Milgram influenced me deeply as I developed my forthcoming book on Judaism as the religion of life in which God invites humans to partner in the work of filling the world with life and repairing it to sustain life at the highest level. Anyway, you'll see lots of references to Milgram in the Divrei Torah throughout Leviticus. Our Parsha teaches the rules and purposes of five sacrifices, including the purification offering called Chatat in Hebrew. When I grew up, the English translation of the Chatat sacrifice was generally, quote, a sin offering, based on the association of the name chatat with the Hebrew word chet, which means sin. Even today, the Jewish Publication Society translation calls the chatat a guilt offering. Bible scholar Jacob Milgram convinced me that the word chatat is related to lechate, meaning to purify, this offering, therefore, is more properly called a purification offering. The question is, purification of what? Now, you might have thought that the chatat brings purification from sin, so the difference in name is merely semantic. But in fact, the sacrifice is also brought for other reasons. Many of the cases requiring a chatat have to do with a person having become impure, ritually impure through contact with a dead animal, but not going through purification as soon as possible. Thus the person has increased or extended, if you will, the sway of impurity inside biblical Israel. But what has impurity to do with sin? Why bring an offering for being a state of impurity? Now it makes some sense that the problem of impurity would be followed by a purification offering, but what is the connection to sin? I want to call special attention to one of the cases that the Torah gives that requires a chatat. A person witnesses a crime and hears a public exhortation asking witnesses to step forward and report what happened. The person saw the crime, but despite the exhortation, still decides not to step forward as a witness. That person is guilty and required to bring a chatat offering to clear himself of his guilt. So we are not dealing here with any sinful act 
we are dealing with a non-act, a decision to be a bystander and not get involved, even though the person knows the culprit. The guilt stems from not having acted to balance the crime with justice or to prevent future crimes by witnessing, but choosing rather not to act. Still, this person is not impure and committed no act of sin. What then is this person being purified from? Milgram explains that the purification offering is not so much for the person who brings the Chatat sacrifice, rather it is for the sanctuary, the tabernacle. The tabernacle dwells in the midst of the Jewish people and it represents the presence of God among the people. So if you look at the model of the shrine, you will see where the analysis is going. And for those of you who are really hearing this on tape, you want to see, you can look at the published form to see the drawing, the ground plan of the tabernacle, as Milgram has done it for us. The sinful behaviors of people are not only wrong acts that need correction and repentance from the sinners, they create an atmosphere in the community and culture within which the acts were done. Milgram shows that if you look at the sins that require a chatat purification offering, as well as on which altar the sacrifice was brought, and where the blood of the sacrifice is spilled, the following pattern emerges. When an individual involuntarily, i.e. unintentionally, commits a sin, she generates a moral pollution in the culture of the community. The symbolic language of the sacrifices says, the toxic effect attacks, as it were, the outer court of the Mishkan and its altar. If the whole community or leadership commit an unintentional sin, the act is a more weighty creator of pollution. As it were, the toxicity penetrates further and attacks the altar of incense in the inner sanctuary. Finally, if intentional and unrepented sins are committed, the toxic fallout spreads farther and deeper. The spiritual pollution attacks the ark in the Holy of Holies, in the very innermost sanctum of the tabernacle. And here again, if you look at the printed version, we have Milgram's illustration of how the sins from outside performance by people attack the inner elements of the tabernacle. So unless the individual in the community repent and bring his purification sacrifice to purge the tabernacle, the pollution caused by sinful acts builds up. At some point, the divine presence cannot tolerate such an atmosphere in which sins are neither checked nor repented and reversed. Ultimately, when the presence of sin reaches toxic levels, the divine presence will leave the tabernacle or temple, the tabernacle at the house of God's presence in Leviticus and later centuries, the holy temple is the house of God's presence. So the symbolic language of sacrifices is telling us that a society builds up a culture in which people live and work. If sin is not checked or undone, it becomes dominant. People are living in an environment full of evil, 
and will be affected by it. Then the divine presence will leave, leaving behind a useless, empty shell of a building. This is the scene that Ezekiel portrays in the mystic vision of the chariot of God leaving the temple. The evil pollution in society stifled good people and normalized bad behavior. Israel became a culture of sin and death, which the God of life would not abide. Similarly, Jeremiah describes a temple hollowed out of holiness and sunk in an atmosphere of oppression and abuse from human to human. God then left the temple, leaving a void, a lifeless sanctuary without God for the Babylonians to enter and destroy at will. Okay, but what has the case of extended impurity to do with this? Often, impurity symbolically stands for death. Holiness symbolically and ritually represents life. This is why people's corpses are not allowed into the tabernacle temple. Those extending impurity, instead of removing it through prompt purification and rebirth to life rituals, allow expanded presence of death to permeate the community. In rituals, just as shown above in Ethics and Sin, unless impurity is checked, God will leave. In this case, too, a purification sacrifice is required to purge the tabernacle before impurity death becomes entrenched and dominant. So our portion teaches us that not only acts of sin, but choosing to bystand, neither to fight nor report criminals, is a grave offense whose influence spreads and poisons the atmosphere of a community. Similarly, complacency in living with death, or death impurity, rather than removing it, crowds out a culture of life and holiness. In the end, God departs, as it were, from a culture of death. So with the aid of Milgram, we were able to cut through the somewhat remote or baffling symbolic language of the sacrifices and of the animals brought to the altar and of the types of the altar. We can then see the deeper lesson of the Torah portion. Life needs to be constantly affirmed and renewed. Failure in either the ethical such as bystanding in the face of sin, or in ritual realms, such as acceptance of death's impurity's presence without reasserting life, generates an atmosphere where the ability to resist sin or death is debilitated. Without repentance and serious action to stop this process of sin-death entrenching itself, the moral and spiritual oxygen will be sucked out of the community. The final result is that the Divine Presence itself will depart from such a society. So in bringing the purification sacrifice, the individual, the leader, and the community signal that they want to fight against sin and not allow evil to become normative or dominant. They signal that bystanding is as grave an act as outright sinning because it allows bad actions to go unchecked and evil to dig itself deeply into the community.
The conclusion is that in every society, one must end bystanding and get people to step up and fight for the good. And in parallel, one must constantly reassert or renew life, or the society may pass the tipping point and slip into a culture of moral or spiritual death.